Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Thursday morning, April 8th, 2021. He is Tristan Happy Cockroft. Happy he's already won all his leagues on only one week in. Kyle Sapi produces and researches our fine show. I am merely Eric Carabell here to read the ads with a depth focus on today's show. Injury talk with the awesome Stefania Bell. Let's just bring her in right now. You know what's coming up later. Hash browns and trivia and closer carousel, all that stuff. But Stefania Bell is here. We don't want to waste your time. Hello, Stefania. How are you? Nice to see your happy smile. Yeah, it's nice to see you guys, too. I feel like this is officially the indication that spring is here because I'm on the Fantasy Focus podcast with my baseball pals. I'm loving it. We're not burying the lead today. Welcome, Stefania. It's great to see you. <laughs> yes, I can only imagine there's this one story that I seem to have been talking about for the last couple of days. Yeah, it's a shame, too, because Fernando Tatis Jr., the Padres, is one of the best players in baseball. But as soon as we saw him hold his arm on a swing, I thought, this is really bad. And then the Padres the next day said, well, maybe it's not really bad. And then Stefania tweeted and said, well... <laughs> Anyway, tell us what you think about the Satis thing, and then we'll get to, you know, the re-injury stuff and all that. Yeah, it was scary when it happened. Um, it was sort of a classic uh, for, for me as a physical therapist, no, having seen this and baseball players before, this is a classic uh, subluxation or, you know, dislocation. They, they look the same. Um, the shoulder slips out of place. Uh, the the player goes to the ground, clutching it in pain. You see them holding his arm against his body. I mean, that's really a position of stability, trying to keep the shoulder from moving till they could get back and look at it further. Um, the Padres reported it as a subluxation, basically means the shoulder slipped out of position, goes beyond the normal range of motion of the joint, but then reduces itself or goes back into place on its own. Um, there, uh, it, it, the lead shoulder in a batter, this is not uncommon, especially guys with big swings, you can see this type of injury develop. And if you look at the slow-mo video of Tati's swinging, you can see that when he gets way around, these guys often release to that single hand and they're going on that follow through. You see how far back his shoulder comes. You can actually see his shoulder slip through the uniform there. So uh, swings and misses are worse. Uh, because without the contact, there's nothing to slow that swing down. And when you have a violent, powerful swing like Tatis does, um, this is the risk is that you're in a vulnerable position and this happens. We also know, by the way, this was not the first episode that he's had. You know, you start hearing reports that this goes back to his rookie ball days, but he had never had an episode this bad. That's often how it behaves. It's a condition that over time tends to progress so you might have minor slippage here and there, but then as those tissues get stretched, you get more laxity in the joint, all of a sudden it starts slipping further and that creates more pain. Stefania, then in that case, I'm surprised that the Padres were so willing to try to get him back on the field during spring training, had day-to-day -day issues with this, and it was brought up, I think, in the final week to 10 days of spring training that that's what it was, and as you mentioned, that he had the history of it. And then we get hints that he's avoiding surgery here and could come back in the near future. I, I find that a very odd uh, projection for his his absence. I, I I mean, couldn't could this just become a bigger issue? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're not alone in your sentiment. If you look at my Twitter feed, my Instagram feed, and look at all my medical friends who've chimed in, pretty much they're all saying the same thing. Now, you know, it it's always I try to be respectful from a distance, right? I'm not 
sitting there looking at the imaging. I don't have the player in front of me. And I also like to remind people that there are a lot of things that go into consideration, including, quite frankly, the seasonal calendar. Because here you are with one of the most electric players, forget on the Padres, just in baseball. And it's the big, it's the first week of the season. And so you hate to say, well, if, if we just take care of this surgically, you know, scrap the 2021 season, but he'll be back next year. And, and you have to take the player's point of view into consideration as well. These, these conversations don't happen in a vacuum. And so let's say if you take the information the Padres presented as fact, and we're going to do that. Um, and they say on the imaging, there wasn't that much damage. There's a labral tear there. Um, labrums, by the way, do not heal on their own. It's a cartilage ring in the shoulder that adds stability. So if you have a labral tear, that's not just going to heal over time. So just kind of put that in your, you know, thought bank. But if you say that the capsule looks fine or, you know, the other protective tissue, the other constraints for the shoulder don't look bad. And the player says, the, you know, he's got full range of motion on clinical exam or close to it shortly after. And the player says, I really want to play. I know this could happen again, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have surgery. You're telling me I don't have to absolutely have it at this moment. Then I want to give it a try. I'm fine with that. Here's my problem. And this speaks to what you were talking about, Tristan. They were like, yeah, he should be back in 10 days. He wanted to play today. How in 10 days are you going to do the things? The only thing you can do when you have this kind of issue, if you're not, uh, stabilizing the soft tissue surgically is you work on dynamic muscular control, a lot of fine motor control of the muscles around the shoulder that protect it, that offer external stability. And you have to work. Something's not happening when he gets into certain positions, certain ranges. And so you, you have to go through some rehab where you're actually working on end range positioning, dynamic stabilization. That takes a while to basically start to tune that neuromuscular coordination. And you're essentially saying, let him rest for a few days, you know, get, get a few hits and come back into the lineup. Like to me that you're not really doing anything to try and address the problem. Most people would say four to six weeks after a major subluxation event, get on this strengthening program and then see, is that enough to help you manage across the rest of the season? Would it be perfect? Not likely, but you'd feel like at least he would have an opportunity to have more success. The short time frame definitely concerns me. And if you listen to Preller's entire conversation with the media, it wasn't entirely just he's fine, no surgery. You know, as he got questioned, he was like, well, you know, not at this point. And yes, if it continues to happen, we may have to look at what the other options are. And so I think they're acknowledging this is the plan for now. I just think uh, it's awfully quick for him to expect to come back and not have a problem when in spring training, he had a lesser issue, came back and had this big problem almost immediately after. Stefan, is it not unusual for shoulders to just pop out of the joint? And also when he does return, shouldn't this suppress power? It's his, fl- it's his front shoulder when he swings. And I would assume that, you know, it's going to be a strength issue as well. 
It's, you know what it really is? It, it will be, I believe, an apprehension issue. So once you experience something like this, your brain does not forget that pain, that horrible pain of what happened when you got into that end range of your swing. So it becomes natural for these guys to st- try to shorten their swing. I've talked to players who've had this condition and have tried to manage it. And they talk about just knowing that if they go into that position again, it's going to happen again. And when you do something that causes a lot of pain, you don't want to reproduce that. So uh, the, sometimes they'll hold their two-handed grip a little longer. You know, they won't, they won't release. They, they shorten their swing. They become more predictable in terms of where they're uh, directing the ball across the field. They don't have the same kind of power. I think that's the more likely thing as opposed to the shoulder just being weak, although you can you can have some of that too. You can just have the power zapped by the instability. But I think the the apprehension that's in the back of your mind of if I hit this position, it's going to cause that pain and I don't want to reproduce that. That's that starts changing your swing and your mechanics and that's problematic. And by the way, let's not forget that he's got to play defense too. I mean as an infielder what happens if he dives for a ball with his arm outstretched? What and and one of the episodes in spring training happened when he was fielding. So this is not just a batting problem. This is potentially an all around the game issue for him. I would love to be wrong. You know, if he comes back in ten days and makes it through the rest of the season, uh, more power to him. But I would say this: keep an eye on what his productivity looks like. How does his swing look? Can he hit with power in the, the same power that he has right now? All of those things, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 going to be a challenge. I, I have a hard time picturing him making it through the entire year. Stefania, for a 22-year-old player, and we know lots of people play in these dynasty leagues, do you have any worries about uh, the, the long-term impact for him? I don't want to see people get overreactionary about a player who does have an injury history. Yeah, I don't. Look. I'd feel better if this were taken care of the, you know, we, the one thing you worry about is that if he has these more traumatic events, so not the little, like a a bit of discomfort in the shoulder, if it's sort of slipping around, but the in and out of the joint. Now we we're hearing there was no evidence of any uh, cartilage, like cartilage joint surface covering or bone damage, no fracture. But if you have violent, um, subluxation dislocation, you can have that kind of trauma. Well, you change the joint surface and you've now changed the rest of his career. So right now, I don't think that, you know, this doesn't jeopardize his health going forward, but if he were to have multiple repeat episodes, then maybe it would. Yes. I, I would also say if he does end up, if he does end up getting it fixed, let's just say either something happens and he ends up going for surgery later this season, or he somehow makes it through the season, but in the off season, he gets it taken care of. Guys have done really well after surgery. However, it's critical that he has a really good surgeon who's done this a lot before. And there are certain guys in baseball who are very good at this. Neil Elitrosh, Dr. Neil Elitrosh in LA, who operated on Michael Conforto, you can He's still got his swing. Conforto had a lot more structural damage than what we're hearing about Tatis, but you, it's a balance between stabilizing the shoulder and not over-constraining it. These guys still need their range of motion. You make them too tight, you over-constrain it, and you've ruined their career as well. So, uh, you know, you really want to pick your surgeon carefully if you do end up having this done. 
Uh, let's deal briefly with the other injuries on uh, of note right now. Cody Bellinger with the calf. Uh, he got uh, cleated by the opposing pitcher earlier this week. And also George Springer, we're hearing, he's been on the, uh, the injured list with an oblique, and now he has quad tightness. And if there's anything I've learned from Stefania over the years is that Current injury is the greatest indicator of future injury. So if a guy is, and just ask Josh Donaldson. So if a guy is hurt, chances oh are it's going to happen again. Are you particularly worried about Bellinger and or Springer? So Bellinger, is, it, you know, unfortunately he's had a few, he's had some weird ones, right? Now he's a guy who just had surgery on his shoulder for, after dislocating, but during a celebration during the NLCS, that was strange, but um he was back from that. This is a random, you know, you take a cleat to the calf. The thing you worry about is bruising or bleeding in the area. And you don't want to then superimpose a uh, an injury on top of that. In other words, you want that tissue to, to be fully healed before you go back and stress it with running and fielding and what have you. So I think um, they're kind of evaluating him day to day, but he's now going to miss what his third straight game, but they're still leaving the aisle as a possibility. I'm, I, th- I think they're addressing it, and I'm not particularly worried. Um, I think the fact that they're allowing him to rest it is good, and I don't. I think this this can resolve and not be an issue going forward if it's treated properly. As far as Springer, I, the concern is like it's it's body part to body part, right? So he has this oblique injury that takes him out for really all of March, and he was just coming back from that. Now he gets tightness in his quad, and and so it's a lot of soft tissue stuff. And, and it's something to remember. I think we're going to see more soft tissue problems this year. Why? Because we had a very short season last year. Um, and just, it was, it's just very strange season and short and crammed. And then this off season short and going into a full 162 game season, it's hard to know how that change between these two years could potentially impact guys. And I think a lot more of these soft tissue injuries are likely to crop up. Yeah. Another one that I, I worried about that, Stefania, I don't know if you saw the play on this one was Cattell Marte, a big, I'm a big fan of his running out of ground at a first injuring his hamstring and he looked in pain. And the thing that scares me about it is just, you know, like the, the nature of the hamstring injury is that I, I, I'm not sure how, what to expect in terms of the absence. You um, you would be right there with everybody else. Hamstring strains are the nemesis of um, baseball and football. And uh, look, Kevin Durant, the NBA as well. So the, the problem is that they, they don't fit a neat timeline. There have been some studies that correlate uh, what you see on imaging in terms of bleeding and swelling in the area with time to return that's been done on NFL players, but there's other um, studies that refute that. So it's not always easy to tell how long someone's going to be out. And it's also uh, the highest risk of recurrence for injury is to the hamstring. We also know from one study that was done a few years ago that hamstring injuries in baseball happen predominantly in April and May. And it makes sense, right? Guys are coming back from the off season. All of a sudden they're doing more running, more sprinting. Uh, There's some thought that it's a little bit cooler in April, May. As they're ramping up their activity, it's still cold in a number of parks. Um, and And usually it's between, you know, home plate and trying to beat out uh, a ground ball to first. And as they're running through, that's where they end up pulling up. So they're common there. There's been all kinds of things looked at in terms of trying to in injury prevention with hamstrings. And we're still not there. 
Uh, and so it, it, the one the caution I would say, if you're a fantasy player, and you're looking at somebody with a hamstring, is I would I would make sure you have insurance because sometimes they'll say, well, it doesn't look that bad or, you know, they're going to come back after 10 days and you worry about them being back for a few days and then it crops up again. So, uh, you know, don't be surprised if it takes a couple of weeks, even if it's a relatively mild strain for them to come back. Always great to catch up with the awesome Stefania Bell, the injury expert at ESPN. You can check out the Fantasy Focus football podcast as they get ready for the NFL draft later this month. Stefania, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It's great to see you guys. Thanks, Stefania. All right, Stefania Bell, as always, is excellent, Tristan. It was great to have her on the show, but it scared me, you know, as a Tatis investor in several leagues, including a league in which I drafted three hours before he got hurt. Um, I dropped him out of my first round in the rankings, which we continually update, and, and I put him at number 20, but I'm thinking that's that's too generous now. I, over, under on games? I mean, do we even want to play this game with Tatis? I mean, is he playing in 100 games? I, I, I'm concerned. First of all, 10 days is ridiculous. He's not back in 10 days. And she's right. When shoulders keep popping out, like that's a problem. He's going to need surgery in November. So if if not sooner, if you're drafting today, how could Tatis be in your first two rounds? Yeah. And I think that, that there's the case to be made that he doesn't even belong in those first two rounds. But the reason why I would still do it is that, especially in a mixed league, what he gives you in the games that he's healthy is amazing. This is a guy who all of the underlying metrics, any of the stat cast oriented stuff, he was, I mean, Hall of Fame caliber in that abbreviated 2020. He had a 62% hard contact rate. That means 62% of the time he put the ball in play, he was hitting it at least 95 miles per hour. This guy's got unbelievable exit velocity. He's one of the best overall athletes in the game when he's healthy. But this is the 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 thing that people had questioned so much about him. And, and you and I both had that he's got that risk of missing time. He hasn't shown he could stay healthy. In five pro years, he had never exceeded 575 players. Yeah, but apparently. last season, he played in 59 of 60 games. Didn't we think this was over with? No. No. Did, did you? I mean, I don't, I don't think... If, you, did you? I didn't. If we, That's the only reason he wasn't my number one player, is that is that he had to show it that he could have been healthy for 162 games. That has been a legitimate question. Then ranking him fourth or fifth was ridiculous. Either we rank him first or we rank him 30th. Like, I, how do we... This is John Color Stanton now. We didn't think that three weeks ago. He belongs in, a, in, in terms of talent up there with those top three. And frankly, I think he was the best player in the game coming into this year. But the only reason I didn't put him in that number one spot was that he hadn't done it before and the other guys had done it. Betts had done it and Acuna had done it. I think he still can make the case that he belongs in the first two rounds, even with 100 games. That's how good a player he is. But you're right. There's a huge amount of risk now. And I don't mean comparing him to Stan. That's not fair. But I'm angry. No, I don't. Because I I love watching him play. To defend you on that one, Stan came into my mind when we were talking about Stefania, is that I don't want to see a pattern of this guy's career and having signed a huge contract like Stanton did where he has the injury question that Stan did for all of those years. That would be a a darn shame. Yeah. And he maybe ends up moving to center field. So but he, he could dive out there too. I do. It's just, it's when I, when I, think, I, saw, I think he'll be managed. Well, I think, I think like you were saying, I think he is headed for a surgery after the year in the better case scenario of how this plays out. This when, I, when I saw him walk off the field, I thought, Oh my goodness. Eloy Jimenez, five months, 
Tatis, five months. I was thinking the worst. I, I hope it's not that bad. I, I hope Tatis plays again this month. Briefly, your thoughts on what the Padres do. Jake Cronenworth's been leading off and doing well, but he's a platoon, I think. He can't hit lefties. Or maybe he can. Maybe he can grow into it. But Hayson Kim has been playing shortstop. And, you know, if he doesn't hit in the next couple of weeks, he, he won't be playing shortstop. They'll play someone. At, Cronenworth can play there. Mateo can play there. Machado can play there. And then they have any number of options to play third base, including Myers, if they really wanted to. So, I, I don't know. I mean, like, is Kim a guy I've watched his at-bats early on? I don't think he has power in this country, but I don't know. Like, you tell me. And, and he doesn't look like he's a great shortstop to me, I, but I want to give him a chance. But, I mean, Kim or Cronenworth now, what are you doing? Or someone else, or are you just avoiding them and picking up Donovan Solano or any number of middle infielders? So what was interesting to me is I think there was a game against the lefty where Cronenworth did pick up a start which signaled to me the Padres' willingness to try him as an everyday player. And they, as you mentioned, they have a couple of different spots in which to place him. So I think he probably gets the, the largest – well, I mean, Kim does based on playing shortstop. I think he gets a pretty large bump because, remember, we were very pessimistic about the playing time. Most of fa- the fantasy community was as well. It's an opportunity for Kim. But I agree. When I watch him, I have almost an identical reaction that you do. I don't think that he's a great defensive shortstop. I don't know that he's got any sort of great pop either. And maybe he's not quite the contact batting average-oriented player that Cronenworth is. He's, it's more power, lower average. But if he doesn't perform, especially over these next couple of weeks, I think he's going to see playing time dwindle, especially if, if and when Tatis does come back. Machado at short would be interesting. For fantasy, picking up that eligibility again would be interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be a mix and match of guys. And, and I'm kind of happy that I took Jerks and Profar. I think Profar has got himself a path to playing time pretty much every day as well. Uh, between a couple of different spots. Right, and we should note that they're going to get a key guy. Grisham's coming off the injury list, I think, on Friday. So he'll rejoin the lineup, which means that somebody that Profar can't play left. So Profar can move the second. I don't think he can play short anymore. Maybe Profar can play short. Maybe Cronenworth can play short. So Kim has to hit now. Um, so so many injuries. Let's just by, go by quickly. The way, by the way, with Grisham, just keep in mind the the Battingham leadoff thing. That's going to change a little bit of the order. So we're seeing some of these guys we mentioned getting the first, second spots. Grisham's going to reclaim those against right. All right. So Bellinger, not worried. I don't think he's on the injured list soon, but maybe just don't. I'm worried more about he, he's a 260 hitter who hits only 30 home runs because of the shoulder issue. Marte, that's got to be a month. Um, and Arizona doesn't have, I mean, I guess Tim LaCastro can replace him in center field and steal some bases. That I mean, LaCastro is John Birdie, essentially. You know, a guy who fantasy managers in roto leagues that need stolen bases can get it there. That's an interesting comp. I kind of like that. Um, The thing about LeCastro that struck me is he's very good at getting on base, mainly because he gets hit by a whole ton of pitches. Uh, But this could be a boost for him. You could see Pavin Smith get a couple more starts than we were expecting. There are opportunities, at least until we get, you know, Cole Calhoun back. And even then, I think there's going to be opportunity because of center field. It's not like Calhoun could play there. Uh, Tim Anderson, uh, hamstring injury. doesn't sound like that's a long-term thing. doesn't look as bad as Marte. Um, Brian Hayes of Pittsburgh hit the injury list with a wrist. doesn't sound like he's going to be out all that long. Your boy Aaron Judge, man. Again, general soreness. Roll your eyes at this. He couldn't pinch hit in, in the Wednesday extra inning game. Like, why do people expect that players who just can't stay healthy will all of a sudden just stay healthy? Like this Josh Donaldson, it was the first inning of the first game of the season. And he's already hurt with the hamstring or a quad or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't know how Donaldson played in almost every game two years ago. Like, or Stanton did three years ago. It's just amazing. 
anyway, I'm tired of injuries. No, it's, it's, it's fair. And, you know, as, as you'd mentioned before, I mean, the best indicator of injuries is past injuries. Let's have some fun. Uh, the most added list and the player rate. Let's talk about some of these players, and then we'll have to get to some that aren't doing so well. I wrote about Detroit Tigers rookie Akil Badu today, and I made a couple comps here, which you're going to th- yeah, – I'm usually pretty good with the comps, as you know. They come out of left field. I never think about them. So I made two in my uh, blog entry today. One, the Badu – Badu is a Rule 5 pick from Minnesota. They have so many alphas they didn't care. But he, he also batted like 214 in the minors two years ago. So he wasn't a special pro- a prospect. So the Tigers take him as a Rule 5 guy. They can leave him on the roster all year. Reminded me of Richie Martin when Baltimore took him from Oakland. But then next year, they had to stick him in the minors, which they're doing now. Martin was terrible as a rookie. But dude's off to a great start. Grand slam. He had a combo meal. Uh, had a triple off Kenta Maeda yesterday. But he's not going to do this for much longer. So if you want to add him, go ahead. But I wrote basically... Be realistic here. This is not a top prospect, and it'd be really surprising. But I, I compared him to Jazz Chisholm in that left-handed hitters with a proclivity for striking out, obvious power-speed combo guys, but if you look at their minor league numbers, they ain't winning batting titles. They're, they're lucky if they hit 250. Do you, but Badu is bigger. He's like 20 pounds bigger than Chisholm. But like Chisholm's not hitting right now. But we know he could be a, a, a 15-homer, 20-steal guy. I think Badu could do that. And Detroit can play him, but I don't think he's going to do that because I think he's going to struggle. Pitchers are going to figure him out just like they are with Chisholm, and it's only been a week. Does that comp make sense to you? The Richie Martin's different, but Jazz Chisholm, left-handed guy, some pop, some speed, but and great name. Like you, you could have a band like the the, Jazz, yeah. <laughs> the Jazzy Badoo band. You know that'd be fun. Yeah, but I don't know if you're going to really want them in fantasy. Do you like Badoo? There's a ton of rookies to discuss, but this is not a this is a raw guy. This is not your Mercedes. Yeah, we we've got a few and all that jazz name team names yeah, at a couple yeah. of leagues of mine. <laughs> um, that's a that's a really interesting comp between the two of them. And and the first thing you notice if you go to their Fangraphs pages is a lot of the scouting grades at this stage of their career are pretty darn close. And yeah, you're right. They they're a little bit of pop and some decent speed, but some holes in their swing. Uh, the hit tool is a question for both of these players. I personally like Chisholm a lot. You know that. I've mentioned it on the show. I think that he could grow a little bit more into his offensive game there. But yeah, it's it's. I guess at this stage and for 2021 expectations, it's it's somewhat fair. Just be careful. I mean, he's already number like five on the most added list. The guys ahead of them, you're a Mercedes, who you should be adding. I think he's a top 10 catcher. Michael A. Taylor, you wrote about Julian really? Merriweather. Really well. I'm not with you. I'm not with you on that one, Mercedes. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see, I see the the. See, he's going to play more than Posey, Molina, Carson Kelly, so because he's the DH, and I don't see why those guys are any safer for fifteen homers and two seventy. Mercedes, I think, is going to do that. I really do. Maybe I'm nuts. I'm actually so, so having done a whole bunch of catcher analysis through the forecaster. I, I'm concerned that they have two guys that they look at as dhs as their, as their backup catcher yeah. how is that going to play out over 162 and neither are, are good catchers i mean mercedes zach collins kyle schwarber can any of them like they're all kind of the same right now you could probably put schwarber behind the plate and maybe be the same as mercedes I, and zach collins i think mercedes belongs in the same bin as alejandro kirk and williams astadio I think they're, as you said, they're good guys to get where you didn't have to invest much in at catcher and they're not going to hurt you. But I, I just don't know about Mercedes staying power. I feel like that, about him like I do about Badu. Badu is just chasing opportunity. That's all it is. It's a, a Tigers team rebuilding that's not very good and people assume he should play a lot. 
But you're right. There'll be regression. And don't ask us why Mercedes is catcher eligible. We didn't do it. Uh, most leagues off. No, actually, we, we did. I, I did that. That's and I. Why did I, you do that? Because uh, that's we shouldn't should discuss be. that. Because that's what he should be. Because he played one game last year, and my take wasn't a short year that we should be going back to the 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 position he played the most in the minors. Oh, so you did that because of the shortened season? I see. I didn't know. There's no communication here. I had there's, no idea. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of guys who fell in the under five games bin, and it's a difficult call. And you'd have a lot of players who got a pinch hitting game who end up being DH only, and it to me it doesn't feel right. All right, fair, fair. That's fair. All right, uh, I ask it again. Are you buying Nate Lowe, Texas first base? Yes, I am. And I'm is this a hundred RBI I... guy? No, just because that offense isn't very good. I keep looking at the grades, and and Texas was very low on the list. Yeah, but like you know, like Not anybody can knock in a hundred runs if you bat thirty fourth on a team every day. I mean, Rico Bronya did it for the Phillies a couple times. I mean, I think Nate Lowe. He's already got like fifteen. <laughs> like that's he's got like fifteen a month, and he's going to be there from now on. Yeah, I don't see it happening in that offense. Do, do you feel do you feel confident about the top three in that order? Because I don't. No, not well. I do think Connor Falefa is underrated. I think Connor Falefa could have a three thirty on base percentage with like twenty steals at shortstop. I like Connor Falefa. I do. I mean, that's a success story off catcher. So yeah, I, I I see what you're saying. I would rather a guy on on base a lot as opposed to a guy on base a little. But you bat anybody cleanup or third. They're going to knock in runs. There's always people on base at times. So the lineup and Nate Lowe was a good prospect. You know, I, I, but when Tampa traded him, I'm like, well, why would they do that? Like, isn't Nate Lowe going to be better than G-Man Choi? They obviously didn't think so. So right. that surprised me that they, that they went with G-Man Choi over Nate Lowe. And I mean, right. Nate Lowe's a good um, player. It's just, he had a shaky spring training. It's just, it's a I, great start, but like, you're not dro- you're not picking up Nate Lowe and dropping Keston Hura, who's 0 for 19 with a million strikeouts either. Yeah. He's here, by the way, I think he's, he, yeah, he's the lowest scoring fantasy points guy. So are far. you worried he's, about, you uh, gotta be a little worried though. I mean, it's all, oh, yeah. I, I know it's only a oh, week. Yeah. He looks oh. terrible. Yeah. Without and, doubt. Like, people stop with the, he changed positions. This will help him garbage. And, and people saying, and like people in the industry saying that the, the Phillies ruined Scott Kingery and the Reds ruined Nixon Senzel because of this positional stuff. No, they didn't. The guys that didn't hit. I mean, Hura moved from second base to first base, which, which should make things better for him in theory. And he's over 19. Now maybe he'll go five for five today, but something's wrong with Keston Hura. I, I appreciate the, thought that people have into the first base is less challenging than second base, but hello, Jay Bruce watching every inning of every Yankee yeah, game. It's not good. There. First base is not, what, what was the line from a movie? I think we talked about last year about first base. I, I think it's we incredibly easy to learn. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. No, I mean, the- here, here is problem is that he, that it was a ton of swing and miss in his game last year. And that has not changed yet. And it has to. How much longer till Mike Ford's your first baseman? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not being facetious. Like, Jay Bruce, if you can't handle first base and Luke Voigt's out another at least a month. You know how our can... first baseman's going to be in about a week, right? DJ LeMayu. Yeah. yeah. But who are they going to play at second? Tyler Wade? Uh, the guy they just acquired who... Oh, no. Are you kidding? That's why they did that? Rugnet Odor? I think it's their safety net. Yep. I think Rugnet Odor... Rugnet about Odor 180 will be for on the, the Yankees? Mm-hmm. He could about 180 with 25 home runs in that ballpark. Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could. Uh, Cedric Mullins, you believe? I do. Yeah. 25 steals. Yeah. I think he's capable. I was actually very surprised by the home run. Um, you know, it was a, I mean, it was a line drive style home run. I don't expect that to happen very often. It's a, it's a higher fence in Baltimore, but I do think he's got the on-base ability. And as you mentioned, the 25 steals. Yeah. Tyler Naquin, hard to believe. No, Jesse Winker, Tyler Naquin's hitting homers every day. 
I don't believe, but do you believe? I mean, they'll play him as long as he keeps doing it. Yeah, you know, the Naquin, I, I'm, I'm as dismissive as you are about Naquin keeping this up, but he's had streaks. He's had the juice, the orange appeal when he gets right, you know, faces righties, and it's a good ballpark for left-handed power. So stranger things have happened. I mean, you know, ju- ju- go ahead and juice. Uh, you wrote in a very good article the other day that you should trade Byron Buxton in fantasy. And I thought, who is this Tristan? I did not know this person. You love Byron Buxton. Why are you trading him? Now, people should read it to find out why. Yeah. But how hard was that for you to write? <laughs> not that difficult because I think there's a, a widening divide between the fantasy impact and the real life impact. And I do think that he's more appealing to me as a real life player where you have the advantage of his defense, which is pretty darn tremendous i i just look the the perceived the, the fact that you're mentioning that i must love byron buxton tells you all you need to know and i wrote a lot more about it than we could talk about here but i i just think there is somebody in your league who thinks he's a top 60 overall player don't you think not me he's not in my top 100 because of the basically because of the durability problems yep but um you know, and also I, it's I, more than that though. And you know, on bases, of course, you know, he had two walks opening day, may, may not have his next walk until May. Um, you want to trade away Ryan McMahon first three home run game of the season, but the Rockies hit the road soon, like today, I think, or tomorrow. They still have like, a lot of cores in the first, the uh, first month and a half though. Ryan McMahon's not that good though. Is he? I mean, maybe the 25 yeah. home runs about two forty. Is that, is that really that important to you? He's serviceable in the mixed league tier that you'd rank between 150 and about 225. So as long as you, I mean, if you're getting better value than that, then I'm with you. If that's where it's hovering, then, you know, he's perfectly fine as a multi-eligible middle, you know, middle of your roster guy. Three DHs in the top nine of the ESPN player Raider. One is obviously Otani, but he's cheating because he gets the pitch. Nelson Cruz, of course, is going to win the AL MVP this season. And J.D. Martinez might finish second. But J.D. Martinez looks really good. I mean, we knew Cruz would be good. At least I did. But J.D. Martinez, he looks like he's back. Maybe he's getting video in between innings, but he looks terrific to me. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm a big J.D. Martinez fan. I really thought last year was an aberration. He put up amazing numbers, and he was a he was a better player than Nelson Cruz in the three years before 2020. 2017 to 2019 really wasn't that close. It was, uh, I believe, 40 spots on the player rate or difference between the two of them. And Martinez, that version looks like he's back. It's not as good a Boston lineup as it was two years ago. But you know what? It actually grades well above average. All right. Sing the combo meal song, if you will. Hey, it's a combo meal. Combo. Combo. It's a combo meal, home run plus steal. And folks, he's dancing <laughs> while he sings this song. We're on Squadcast. Great job out of them. And he is dancing and moving his arms around as if like he's, he's singing a song. You want to be a singer. You want, you want to be the lead singer of the Jazzy Badoo Band, don't you? <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> dancing around. I love it. It's fantastic. Oh. Uh, we've got some combo meals. Akil Badu of Detroit had one on Monday. Of course he did. He's awesome. We talked about him. Mookie Betts, who hasn't played since, I don't think, on Tuesday. Christian Vasquez, the catcher. And the trivia today is there were three catcher combo meals last season. Can you name any of them? Probably not. Wait, there, in a shortened season, there were three catcher combo meals. All right, I got to think about that a little bit. Yeah. I'm, if I look at a list of catchers, maybe I could get it. We I'll know smile. one that's probably an easy guess, though. <laughs> um, it's not your, your, your homer and home catcher. 
I'm sure Real Muto is one of them. Um, Wednesday's combo meals. Darren Ruff, who I love. I love Darren Ruff. He let he he you know the Phillies shouldn't have been playing him. Um, although he had like a 40 homer season in the minors, he couldn't hit major league pitching. Goes over to Japan. Now he's a star. Comes back here, kills left-handed pitching. Darren Ruff and Alec Bohm had one on Wednesday against the Mets. I love Alec Bohm. My wife said, Who's your favorite Philly? And it's Alec Bohm. Just a bit over Bryce Harper, who I hated in Washington, but I love him now. Anyway, Alec Bohm, Alec Bohm can hit. And they're not even batting him. Like they're batting him after everybody else, which is going to knock. He can knock in 90 runs. Alec Bohm, 290, 22 homers, 90 ribs. That's happening this year. Yeah, sign me up for that. I'll take that. And I think he might grow a little bit more into his power over time. Probably not this year, but I like that projected line. And that is a lineup where I'm talking about Texas. Yeah, I like the Phillies guys ahead of him much more than Texas. And I was I was comparing Bohm last year to Castellanos, and Castellanos still has never had a 30 home run season. Maybe maybe this year he does it before the All Star break. But Bohm reminds me of Castellanos. Tall, they can hit the opposite field, but not natural power until this year with Castellanos. I, I view Bohm as like a 25 to 30 home run guy in his peak. 100 RBI because of where they bat him. But he could bat 300, too. Maybe he can still 10 bases. And according to Kyle, the last corner infielder under 25 to record a combo meal is a bar trivia winner, Rowdy Telez, in 2019, who is a little bit shorter than Bohm, but a little bit heavier as well. Um, and every time I watch Alejandro Kirk behind the plate, yes. like, <laughs> it's, it's hard to be as tall as me and double my weight. But Alejandro Kirk does it. <laughs> That's unbelievable. There's your stat of the day. Is that true? Really? Wow. Well, I don't know exactly what he's tipping the scales at today. And we're not making fun of him. He's obviously built a little differently than we are. But um, and he hits. He can hit. I wish they'd play him more. You know, catcher is so interesting right now. I redid my rankings today. I put Tyler Stevenson as a borderline top 10 catcher. If they would just play him over Tucker Barner, Tyler Stevenson would be a top 10 catcher. Again, above Posey, Molina, Kelly, that, that, junk like those guys are not not gonna have any upside you know i mean like stop messing around with wilson ramos and fantasy leagues people like stevenson mercedes um who else did i move up there was another catcher that i moved up hard i can't remember anyway we got to move it along now close a carousel time you want to sing that and dance as well too it's the closer carousel and this is i mean like 40 pitchers already have a save in a week yeah i know it's ridiculous. Oh. And, and it makes me wonder why are we even doing this <laughs> saves thing? Because like one day it's, it's Chris Davinsky. And now I don't know, maybe it's Kevin Ginkle and he wouldn't even pitch the other day. Cause he was sick. And who's Washington's closer with Brad hand on COVID. Is it Daniel Hudson? And Ian Kennedy's going to save 30 games right now. And Alex Reyes might do the same. And clearly Melanson, we told you stop rostering Pagan. I mean, and oh, we, the biggest story, of course, is Trevor Rosenthal. And, you know, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. When I wrote the closer ca- closer report, relief report, whatever, on Tuesday morning, I'm like, we're going to get bad news on Trevor Rosenthal any minute now. And we did. But I could, couldn't have imagined this. In fact, we should have asked Stefania this. Any pitcher who gets thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, they're never the same again. We're never going to see Trevor Rosenthal do this again, are we? The sample says that no. He will probably Chavar, Matt Harvey, Chris Archer. That's a, that's like a, a shoulder injury with nerves and they, they just don't come back throwing the same way. So it's, a, I mean, man, like that stinks. I could see him having, so this thing with Rosenthal, he had the control issues in the DC year. Um, he could come back and give you a Greg Holland dish 
three to four months of amazing in a future season. But you're right. This has this has a, a significant chance of threatening his career. The the frustrating part about having him absent is that remember we projected Oakland's bullpen for interesting saves guys before that signing, but they haven't they haven't won in a natural save way. They won yesterday on the walk off, but they haven't had a natural save situation for us to read these relievers. Can you make the case for JB Wendelkin over Jake Diekman as a fantasy ad? I can, yeah, because I think he's got the stuff to do it. But I also think Diekman's up there, and I think Sergio Romo has the history to do it. Romo didn't look great yesterday, by the way. Watching that, he wasn't so great. And they warmed up Wendelkin. They didn't bring him into the game at all, which I found curious. Were they holding him back for a potential save situation? I I think it is going to be straight committee where the matchup's dictated, and then one hot hand is going to take the job. That's often the way in which Oakland goes. And I just personally like Wendelkin's skill set. Devin Williams has already permitted more earned runs than he did last season. And I don't have any shares of him because I thought that's not happening again. But I wrote the other day that Michael Kopech is the next Devin Williams. Is that wild? Do you believe it? I could see that. I could see that. He's got the stuff to do it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we'll do a closer carousel on Monday. Again, when we have more information from the weekend and 40 more people getting saves, it's just everybody's getting a save now. I mean, Jesse Hahn has a save. Like and and a legit save, he could be closing for them. And Greg Holland, by the way, his control has been a mess. So that one is very much an open door for other guys. By the way, just from a broad perspective on the closers, we mentioned you and I mentioned that this was a great year in order to go cheap at closer. But this ties into our discussion the other day that the reason I was very pro Julian Merriweather is that when you see the skills of a potential guy, don't you think you have to pounce because there's so much turnover? I do, except like Davinsky may not get another save now. Like I, I pounce, but it's, what are you giving up to pounce? What are you doing? You know, like that's the thing. The skills aren't there. Melanson, you mentioned, it looks like he has the job. So that's one where you obviously had to pounce, but I'm talking about the skills. Alex Reyes does have the skills to close. If Jordan Hicks, by the way, gets cut, I definitely would be adding him. I'd make sure to roster both of the Toronto guys. I'd still roster Jordan Romano. Just in case. Why do you think Alex Reyes is losing this job? I don't. Jordan Hicks. What do you hit? Three, one or three yesterday. He's improving yeah, but, in terms of the velocity. All he needs is the command to come together. So why not use him in the seventh and eighth? I I, I don't because, see like Melanson might be San Diego's like fifth best reliever, and he's closing. Right, but in St. Louis, the intent was that Reyes was to be the Michael Kopech, not to be a one inning sixty innings pitch for the year closer. They wanted to use him in multi innings, so I think by design they want to go with Hicks in those single inning outings. They just want to give him fifty innings pitch for the year. Let's bring in Kyle now to get to the hash Browns. Very long show here, but I think you like it anyway. Um, Kyle, what do we got? First one comes from Mark. He wants to know what your long-term thoughts on Eovaldi and Boyd are. They're not good, but Kyle, but uh, Tristan, maybe, maybe yours are better. I Evaldi looked great yesterday, right? Was it seven strong innings? And I guess is it durability that has me scared and Boyd, he looked great yesterday too, but Detroit, are they going to win? Like I, and Boyd the Walker and a home run guy, and I just like that's that's a combination that just actually is not as much of a Walker as I thought. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. He was terrible last year. Fifteen home runs and sixty innings. That that's hard to do and keep a rotation spot. But your thoughts on Boyd and Evaldi? Evaldi, I'm the first name that's coming to mind is the second half of Rich Harden's career. Where oh no, you know what? Rich Hill actually falls. Well, Rich Hill had had a higher ceiling during his healthy times, but I'm thinking that's what Evaldi's future is, that 
that when he's healthy, the numbers are going to be better than they were at the time where he was giving more volume, but he's going to miss a lot of time. He's not going to give you the durability. He's going to be capped out at like 20 starts and 120, 100 to 120 innings pitch. Boyd, Boyd's been so inconsistent. I, I still think there is a, the makings of a good number two or three starter. <laughs> the the issue I have is just wide split. He needs he needs to get a better pitch against right-handed hitters. It's so you easy to make Tristan me laugh. So much there. <laughs> it's so easy to make you laugh. You're I like, know. <laughs> all right, Kyle. What's next? Oh, Burner, I mean, what you're doing, man? <laughs> I mean, what you're doing there? I'm not doing anything. Oh, I'm a good boy. Okay. Such an instigator that care about. Such an instigator. Burner wants to know if Nick Senzel can be a top hundred player this season. He would like you to present. His ending line to him with on base percentage and not batting average. He does. He's looked good. He looked good against Pittsburgh pitching. Yeah. So, but I don't know if that means anything. He does have five walks against three strikeouts. That's very interesting. But I, I can't do any projecting until I see him play for like a thirty day period without getting hurt. Yeah. If if you gave him five hundred plate appearances. I think he would eclipse 15 homers and 15 steals, maybe 20 steals on base percentage. Can we say 330 safely? I don't know, but this is a good start with all these walks. Yeah, can we get him to 330 and on base? I think we could. I'm willing to play the optimist game. And so far, the numbers look like where they were in A ball. We're talking 2016 17. So do we have a right to jump back to that all of a sudden? Probably not. And I agree, Eric, the Pittsburgh pitching. Sub 20% chase rate. That's something that catches my eye. Chase rate being swing rate at uh, pitches judged outside the strike zone. The others, the swinging strike rate is down. That's down near where the A-ball numbers are. But it's it, the sample's too small to really invest much in that. 330 seems about right. 20, what, 20 home runs? Maybe a couple more than that in that ballpark? All righty. Roberto is in an NL only league. He wants to know if you're holding on to La Stella and what your confidence level is on the San Fran infield as a whole. Yeah, you know, I just picked up Donovan Solano in a league without a bench. Um, You have to have an open roster spot to do it. I uh, DL'd Cabrian Hayes, and I picked up Solano because I thought, you know, for the next couple of weeks, he's going to at least hit it for, for average. You know, maybe he could pop a home or steal a base. They have to play Donovan Solano every day. They're batting him third. So, like, when Brandon Bell is healthy, he'll play first. And Solano will play second. And are they really going to sit Evan Longoria third while he's hitting? So I think Listel is in danger of losing a lot of playing time here because I don't see how they can sit their first, second, or third baseman. And I like Listella, and I think he could pop 20 homers. I th- think I boldly predicted 20 homers and like 100 walks, but man, he, he can't do that if he doesn't play. And they're not even using Wilmer. Well, actually, they have been using Wilmer Flores at first base because of belt, but and against lefties, but. They got a lot of stuff, a lot of players there. Yeah. So the Giants have faced four left-handed starters out of their six games. Lestella hasn't started against any of them. No surprise there. Uh, did have him lead off in one of the games against righties. He was the DH in that game. Um, and, and I really felt like he was a platoon guy, but we haven't seen where they're putting him in the infield. So I agree that right now that that's where things are shaking out. I'm not a believer that Belt and Solano and Longoria hold up as consistent performers all year. So I think there will be opportunities for Listella to sneak in starts. My problem with the Giants infield is that it's a lot of moving matchup-oriented parts, and there's nothing elite there, and that's Solano included. Flores and injury history, belt and injury his- history, and Listella himself does. It's like 350 to 400 PAs for all of them. 
I don't know what you don't believe in on Solano. He had batted 326 last year and 330 the year before. No power, no speed, no walks, and no hard hit balls. That's the problem. Yeah, but he keeps doing it. Like, he just keeps getting hits. I I know his BABIP is high, but and he's not a fast guy, but, like, at what point do we just say, okay, like, his BABIP was over 400 from 2019 to 2020. Now, it's still only, like, 430 plate appearances, but, like, why can't he hit 320 again? I don't know. I don't That's, see why he can't. And and you said the right number, 430 or whatever. It's four 454 plate appearances since the beginning of 2019. That's all you need to know. Isn't that kind of like a more than a small sample? Not really when you're talking over those three years. All right. I mean, it's it's a medium size. I'd say it's a below average sample. I, I need to see this more. And as you said, he doesn't generate a lot of hard contact. Uh, not a whole lot of hard hit balls. But uh, we know about that on this show, don't we? Uh, sure do. Michael, last code focused. <laughs> Uh, last question comes from Michael. He wants to know, understanding it's small sample sizes and only a week, but who's one player whose value has changed the most for better or worse from these first seven days? I, I don't think it, we should, it should be somebody like Tyler Naquin or Nate Lowe, right? I mean, shouldn't it be somebody who we were already drafting? It's not Buxton. It's not Garrett Hampson. Um, it might be Jonathan India though. Cause Although, like, that can't last to that degree. No, it can't. It's not a, it's not a kill, but do it. The numbers don't support it quite. They're good, but they're not that. They're not to that level. I mean, if Castellanos d- does this against non-Pittsburgh pitching, okay. Because he's never hit 30 homers before. And now he looks like he's on his way to doing that in three months. So that's a guy. Yeah. That's a guy who's changed. I've changed a little bit, although it's early. I loved his interview after he got ejected, like, I don't know how Yadier Molina didn't get in trouble, but like that was just interesting. I don't think there's any pitchers. I don't want to say I've got you on board with Castellanos now. I'm loving it. <laughs> I just there was no reason to expect like he looked terrible last season in Cincinnati. So why did we expect that was going to change? Like even though it wasn't terrible, he had a an an inconsistent year, but I didn't think it was he, he, bat, like, he was tied for the league lead in hard hit outs. With so he was unlucky, is what you're saying, while yes. he was hitting like 210. Okay. Yes. Yes. I think that absolutely is the case. I think he has some natural power that's, you know, beginning to be untapped here. And I hope it just holds up. I mean, who have I changed my mind? You know what? I might be changing my mind on John Means. He looked good yesterday. He looked like uh, maybe I should be ranking him as a top 50 starter. I don't, I didn't do it yet. Alcantara of Miami. I took yes. my, yeah. He looks guy. good. I mean, Merriweather, like, I never knew last year that he was throwing 100 as a swingman. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of him. Mm-hmm. I don't think I he have, did last year. I don't think, I don't he, think quite he did hit either, it. either, because we would have known, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, no way on Steven Matz. Do it, <laughs> do, it, do it three or four more times, and maybe. Yeah. Kopech? I, I thought no way. I thought a week ago, no way can you roster Kopech in any fantasy league because he's not going to start and he's not going to finish. But if he gives you 100 innings, of a 250 ERA and 130 strikeouts. Now that's really optimistic that he can stay healthy for six months, but 60 innings with 100 strikeouts, he could be Devin Williams, man. That's all right. Anyway, mine, we're done for today. I think mine was um was Melanson because I wasn't a big Melanson guy. Yeah, but what cha- you knew what he could close. He was he's closes every year. 
So why why just, would that? Be I didn't different? buy. I didn't buy that he would get locked in as the guy like that on opening day. I I, I wasn't fully in. And and you you I mean you also and I wrote about him last week was Michael Taylor. Is I, I just think the role in the manager is a good fit for him. Uh, we should answer that trivia question, which was uh, catchers with a combo meal last season, right? Was that what it was? And we said and, Real Muto already, Kyle. And I assume Real Muto. He's not one of them. Well, it wasn't Andrew Knapp. <laughs> well, this wasn't one of Wilson Ramos's one stolen base in his career, I hope. <laughs> nope. Oh, good. Got, I mean, Dalton Varsho didn't have one. So, like, I'm trying to think of catchers who even stole bases last year. An old catcher that hits for a good batting average is the only clue I can give you. The other two, I don't, I, you're going to have a hard time getting. Yachty is, is the, the right old idea. batting average. Right Yachty idea. even play? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, man, that's a good question. Last well, year. Okay. Travis Darno. Um, nope. Wow. Old catcher. Did Zunino do it? Did not. Right. That's not a bad guess, though. You get the home runs at the very least. Gosh, that's Will Smith. He's not old. No, Stephen votes old. He didn't do it. He did not do it. This guy, uh, yes, that's he sad. has five stolen bases for his career. The old guy I'm trying to get you to here. Wow, a batting average old guy. Suppose he didn't play. That's With, not Cervelli. All right, I give up then. This was a tough question. It was more of a fun fact than a trivia question. I didn't expect you to get it. Salvador Perez did have one last year. Did he really? Okay. did. Pablo Severino and Jorge Alfaro, the other two. Pedro Severino and Jorge Alfaro. I should have Pedro Severino trying to hustle on that ball out last night. Yeah. <laughs> they were talking about it non-stop on the, the broadcast. We should mention the schedule upcoming day games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So get your lineups in there early. Um, Sunday night baseball on ESPN this week is um, Phillies at Atlanta. A couple lefties here of, uh, uh, you know, you wrote about Drew Smiley yesterday. You love Drew Smiley. So that'll be an interesting matchup against Matt Moore, who was not so good in his first adding, couldn't couldn't have it, didn't have much command of his stuff. Um, but um, there might be a future there. And Atlanta started a hit yesterday against Washington. So um, Phillies, by the way, middle grade in terms of uh, any of the ratings against left-handed pitchers. So I'm a little more scared about this matchup for Smiley than I would typically. And by the way, Atlanta, one of the very best against left-handed pitchers. Yeah, they should be. I mean, if you were worried about them after the first weekend, you shouldn't have been. You know, when their only runs came on, what, the Sandoval two-run homer and a Darno homer, we knew they were going to be fine. So don't be dropping any of your Atlanta players. Um, Any other, like, theme that that you expect for the weekend? I want to try to do this on shows more often where we just get, like, something to watch this weekend. Something, you know, not your Mercedes or rookies or anything like that. Obviously, closer situations are going to change all the time, but... Maybe like an overall theme other, other than that we hate the guy on second base and the extra innings rule, which is I really awful. don't like it's it. It's awful now. Really, I, I don't know why. I really don't like it. And it was okay like last the, year, but it's not okay now. I don't like the doubleheader thing either. I understand the need for it this year, but I, I'm much more sour on both of those this season than usual. I'm going to be a huge homer here and point out I need to see the Rays' magic come back. They are playing the Yankees in an important division series. They owned the Yankees last year. They're the hosts. So that leans pitching-wise and leans towards their strengths. This, to me, is an important one to watch. 
Well, uh, thank you so much for listening to the Fantasy Focus Baseball. We will be back on Monday. We're a twice-a-week show, show, we hope, for the season. And, um, you know, special thanks today to Stefania Bell. Did a great job talking about Fernando Tatis. And if you want to trade him away, go ahead. Uh, I'm not trading him away for, you know, your Mercedes. But, you know, if you're getting two decent players in the top 100, I would start to think about that now because I'm not as optimistic. I mean, she wasn't optimistic. I'm not. You're not. Would you trade Kesson Hura for Fernando Tatis right now? I I would never take only Hura for Tatis. I'd trade Hura for Tatis in a second. <laughs> I would too. I would too. But if you offered me Hura and Granky for Tatis, I don't know. I might take that. Like, you know, like if I'm getting two players that I can count on, that might be the best. Like, I don't know. I hope the best. up your pitching staff, if you have problems on that side, you might have to start thinking about it. Yeah, I think it's too early, but I... Yeah, I think it's, I wrote that it's too early to trade him away, but we'll see what happens in the next 10 days. As always, make sure to check out the Baseball Tonight podcast each morning for recaps, interviews, and all the insight you could ask for as well. All right. For Kyle, for Tristan, for Stefania, and Akil Badu and Jazzy, I am Eric Carabell. Have an awesome weekend.